0: Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. On this podcast, I talk all the time about getting high-quality, deep, restorative sleep because it's just so critically important for your overall health. And I talk a lot about sleep hygiene. We talk about keeping your room as dark as possible, wearing an eye mask, keeping your room cool. We talk about blue light blocking glasses at night before you go to bed. But you know what we often overlook? In fact, I don't think I've ever really talked about it, is the importance of having really comfortable bedding sheets, blankets, and pillows. I mean, it's just common sense. You really need to be as comfortable as possible in your bed. And that's why I want to introduce you guys to my friends over at Cozy Earth. They develop and craft high-quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from the earth. So that you can get the restorative sleep you need to curate your sanctuary and recharge from the comfort of your home. What I love about Cozy Earth is they use this sustainable viscous from bamboo fabrics and it's softer than cotton. It feels amazing and it's temperature regulating, which means it will keep you cool and comfortable all night long. Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's favorites list four years in a row and they have a 10-year warranty on all their products, and they offer a 100-night sleep test. That means you can try it for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, you can send it back for a full refund. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, guys. I guarantee you are going to love their fabrics. Check them out. Go to CozyEarth.com, and they provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today. You get 35% off site-wide when you use the code DRJockers or Dr. Jockers, all one word, DRJockers at checkout. So again, go to CozyEarth.com, use the coupon code DRJockers at checkout to save 35% off today. Well, Marcel, welcome to the summit.
1: Thanks so much for having me here. Lots of information to share.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I always enjoy talking with you and you know it's so important that we have an expert in kind of the female transition, because there's a lot that goes on when it comes to menopause, menopausal symptoms, what's happening in the body. And so can you start to break some of that down for our listeners?
1: Sure, so you know, one of the things, we see different phases in, in someone's life. For example, in the younger years, we call that the kind of the luteal phase of their lives. Um, we see very different scenarios than we do in perimenopause and menopause. So let me kind of break it down into those patterns. So when young women just first start having their cycles, um, what we're starting to understand now more than ever before those young women that have symptoms of, you know, mood swings before their periods or they have cramping before their periods, a lot of that's coming from that inflammatory cascade. And we start to know more than we ever have before that changing one's diet in particular can be very, very helpful to decrease cramps. And in the conventional world, that's not what we do. We put young women on birth control pills, or we will do um, put them on medication, or we'll possibly even use an IUD called Skyla or a Marina IUD. And the bad news about that is it has a progestogen in it. It's not even natural progesterone in it, which can cause a lot of hormonal havoc as well. So it's very important to know that there are ways that we can just change one's diet and lifestyle and have menstrual cramps and PMS go away. There's also a problem called PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which people are almost suicidal. They are very, very depressed. And that's oftentimes a hormonal imbalance that can very much be affected by our diet, the food that we eat. And sometimes these young women have had a lot of stress for a long time. And what happens is their estrogen and progesterone levels are out of balance. They have lower progesterone and they have many symptoms of PMS. We can add some natural progesterone to them and change their diet, which decreases that inflammatory cascade, which makes a big difference. Then we have the perimenopausal woman, and that, that woman has lots of things oftentimes that go on. And what's so wonderful about the work that you're doing, David, is you're trying to educate people about how important nutrition is, because mm-hmm. those women that have been really having a poor diet, they may have symptoms of weight gain. They may have mood swings. They may have brain fog. They may have all kinds of disorders that go along, again, with the nutritional components. And it's, it always boils down to the gut and inflammation. And as we shift the dynamics of the food that they're eating and we change their lifestyle, including being outside more, having more time for, you know, meditation or prayer or something that gets them inside their bodies and change their diet. Many of those symptoms go away, which is really, really exciting because so many women feel so trapped in these symptoms that they're having and don't have a clue what to do. And then we get into the menopause. And, you know, as a culture, what we say to women is, oh, you poor thing, you know, what can we do? And now we don't use hormones anymore. We use uh, antidepressants. And the bottom line is we have to figure out what causes the problem. Sometimes it's adrenals that are problematic because the adrenal glands are the foundation of providing those hormones in menopause, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and DHEA. And the interesting thing is it comes from cholesterol. So if we have a diet that's very high in inflammation and -hmm. we have a lot of stress, what we have is a lot of cortisol produced, a lot of inflammatory cytokines are produced, more body fat with more inflammation Mm -hmm. because the body fat produces more inflammation. And we have symptoms of hot flashes, night sweats. They can't sleep. They can't think. And they're so frustrated And it's something we can do something about. They don't have to be on hormones, although I do use hormones in my practice, and they don't have to be on an antidepressant because they're not depressed. They just have inflammatory markers that are going on for many different reasons. So it depends on where they are in that cycle of life in terms of how we might intervene. But generally speaking, diet is the most important and easiest introduction and then there's yeah. many other things we can do as well, including fish oil and um, um, evening oil. That combination can mm. be working so, so well for people as well. That's a yeah. long-winded answer to your question.
0: No, that's good. I want to talk about all these strategies, but uh, you brought up something there with birth control pills. What do are, what are birth control pills actually do to a female's hormones?
1: So, you know, I mean, it, it's a it's a tough one for me because there are so many young women who don't want to get pregnant and they yeah. feel like that's the only option. So if I have somebody on the birth control pill, um, it is going to, uh, you know, modulate their hormones, if you will. It shuts yeah. almost the ovaries down and quiets them. And it gives the body a synthetic uh, ratio of hormones. If I have a young woman, I will try to put them on the most natural form, and there are some now available, Um, and then I'll always add progesterone and I'll add diet and I'll add nutrients because it really does uh, blunt the hormonal cascade And for many women, they don't have problems. There are studies now that are coming out showing that there is an increased risk um, associated with longer term use of breast cancer, but there's many other studies show that it's not. But I suspect that there is a relationship. And in addition to that, when you are on the birth control pill, what happens is it does decrease the amount of... uh, natural vitamins that we have that we store from the food that we're mm, eating. Right. So many young women need to supplement with B6 and B12 um, and obviously a good multivitamin because it really depletes the body of those stores. So I, as much as I can, you know, we have to look at options for young women and I'm not opposed to somebody going on the pill if that's, if that's, you know, cause it really is really bad idea for 13 year old, 15 year old, 19 year old to get pregnant then I'm always going to use a dance. I use, however, a Nuva ring a lot because it's something that they can actually use that is going to be blunting that first pass, which is what the oral you know, contraceptives do. And then I will always use progesterone with it as well uh, in the form of a cream to really support the natural biochemistry as much as I can for the body. And then I'll always have them on a multi. I'll change their diet as much as I can, get them on fish oil. but understanding can can we use this a little shorter, maybe not long-term use? Yeah. Um, and if you are on the pill, can I change you over to the Nuva ring instead to have it at least be, you know, almost um, transdermal?
0: So you mentioned the Nuva ring. Well, yeah, I'm not familiar with that. What is that?
1: Right. Okay. So the Nuva ring is actually a small ring and it's inserted into the vagina it stays there hmm. for 3 weeks and then they take it out for the week that they have their period. Okay. And the wonderful thing about the Nuva ring is you're not getting this surge on a daily basis, it's very you know uh, slow, slowly uh, transported into the system and you're not then having to deal with the liver. So if I'm going to use birth control at all, if I can change somebody over to the ring, they usually love it because they don't need to think of something every single day. And it has a timer with it that goes off to tell them when to take it out and put a new one in and they generally can get three months. For some people, if I have a lot of menstrual cramps, I might do three rings back to back, so they only get three periods. But again, you know, I, I ask myself the bigger question, if we're doing that, and we really normally have cycles every month, what are we really doing in the long run? Yeah. And I don't think we have any big studies to really, I mean, I teach for the Institute of Functional Medicine, I just did the hormone module, so there are no studies to show me that it's a problem. And I have to kind of weigh it with my patients, what's going to be more problematic for them if they get pregnant at 17 mm-hmm. or 20, or, you know, can I use this for the time being as a method of birth control? So it is my favorite that I recommend as often as I can.
0: Yeah. And, and birth control pills and, and just taking birth control in general, like you said, can deplete a lot of nutrients. You mentioned B6, B12. I've also heard zinc and magnesium are big with that.
1: Absolutely, there's no question about it. And you know, again, uh, unfortunately for me in my practice, sometimes getting them to take those supplements is difficult. And then yeah. they'll come back to me and say, you know what, I'm feeling really moody and I'm feeling really mm. irritable, and life is just so hard. And it's like, well, let's get the B6 in particular on yeah. board. And certainly nowadays, with you know the situation in the world, we need as many supplements as we can to really yeah. support the biochemistry of, of our our thinking and attitude.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, perimenopause is typically between the ages of of uh, 35 to 45. I've heard that uh, menopause the, on average starts at 51. And menopause is basically where you don't have your menstrual cycle for a full year. That's when you've officially hit menopause. And uh, perimenopause is kind of the, the period there where you're sort of having infrequent periods and Um, you know, possibly noticing hair loss and mood changes and things like that. What's actually happening during perimenopause?
1: Great question. So let me back up because there's something else that you didn't mention. I think it's really important to know because we have so much toxicity in the planet. It's not unusual Mm. for me to see a younger person in their late 20s, early 30s, with what we call premature ovarian failure. So anybody Mm -hmm. before age 40 that stopped their cycles and we do something called an FSH, which is follicular stimulating hormone, and we see that that number is very high, where I'm suspicious that they no longer have ovarian reserve and that they've started into that menopausal cycle. The average age for menopause is 51.3 actually, and Mm -hmm. 13, 10 to 13 years prior to that, the hormones are starting to change. So what's happening is that the regulatory system of the estrogen, progesterone, and particular uh, ovarian um, stimulation so that they actually have an ovary released, starts changing. And because of that, there's different symptoms that that are changing as well. What's interesting is that some people in menopause have very few symptoms, and other people have the worst horrific symptoms that you can possibly imagine. And their lives are very much affected. They don't feel like the same sensual person that they were before. They're gaining a lot of weight. They haven't done anything differently. They're starting to lose their hair. Their thyroid gets imbalanced as well. But what I oftentimes will tell people, the interesting thing is that adrenals or what we call the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access Mm -hmm. play a huge role in how many hormones we have in menopause. And if we've had enormous amounts of stress from toxicity, environmentally, or we've had Lyme or other problems like that or digestive issues, the adrenals have been taxed. So they're not as good at producing estrogen, progesterone and testosterone which causes more of the symptoms in menopause. Hmm. Many people can't sleep, so we're having to work with all those things to really get things in balance. And the other part that's so important to know is that women that are menopausal have their heart risk increases, their heart disease risk increases by 21%. We also start seeing bone loss pretty significantly at the time of menopause. so prior to that time, that's the time to really think about getting healthy and to start thinking about you know, what do I need to do to really be more balanced? And hopefully you're gonna be seeing a functionally trained practitioner that can look at it's not just we want to know our estrogen levels, especially at menopause or perimenopause. We want to know what the estrogen metabolites are doing, what that ratio of estrogens, you know, what they're, um, you know, two, sixteen, and, and uh, four doing. I call them the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's how the body actually is um, metabolizing that estrogen. That's so important to know because that will really determine whether you have more risk of osteoporosis. Or do you even have a risk factor there for breast cancer that is all changeable if we can change the way that estrogen is metabolized?
0: That's really good. I'm interested. Are you using a Dutch test? And what are you looking at with those ratios?
1: Yes. So I I have used Genova for years and I use the urine. Yep. The urine. um, And I'll do it once a year with urine and I'll do once a year with blood because I'm oftentimes, if I have people on hormones, checking their levels. If I have somebody on transdermal, I'll use um, a ZRT lab or something like that to get the, you know, the saliva. But I'm starting to do more and more of the Dutch. The reason I didn't use it is we didn't have a lot of research to show that, the, that it really showed that what we were seeing was documented in terms of you know, peer-reviewed stuff. And I because I teach, you know, I, I really like to make sure that I've got my ducks in a row with regards to that. But I am starting to do that more, and then I can kind of look at the cascade of that as well.
0: So the Dutch means dried urine, what is it? Uh, Comprehensive hormone test, basically. So um,
1: it's very comprehensive, and you can also add to it then the uh, five-point cortisol levels so that you're kind of looking at things in in tandem. Yeah. When I see somebody with thyroid issues or if I see somebody with hormonal issues, I'm always going to be starting with the adrenals first because the adrenals Mm. trump thyroid and hormones. Yeah. So I'm always thinking kind of of that ratio as well. And then having to dig a little deeper as to if their adrenals are really off, what is it from? You know, where does it come from? And then we can kind of look at how do we shift the hormones and how do we shift um, the thyroid. But the part I want to say that's so important is women don't have to be miserable. They really don't. If they have PMS or if they have cramps with their periods, or if they're having menopausal, perimenopausal symptoms, we just have to figure out how to get them better. They don't have to be miserable. They can be gloriously happy and healthy 70s, 80s, and and, and onward as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. And as, as a woman goes through perimenopause, they have a reduction in overall estrogen and progesterone, but the overall reduction in progesterone is more significant than the reduction in estrogen. And of course, stress plays a big role. Can you kind of tie all that together?
1: Love to. So let's kind of go back a little bit so you understand this. If you have a fair amount of stress, cholesterol normally makes our sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA. If we have a lot of stress for a long time, we can't live without cortisol. So the body then makes cortisol instead of estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. And the first thing that goes down is progesterone. Mm -hmm. So then you've got, it's not that your estrogen level's low, it's that the ratio is off, the estrogen-progesterone ratio is off. And we call that estrogen dominance. And that cycle in which cortisol is made from cholesterol is, we call it the cortisol steal. It's not really a stealing mechanism. That's kind of an antiquated term. But it is such that the body has to make cortisol at the expense of our sex hormones. You might notice that you feel less energetic because you have less DHEA. And DHEA, you'll find that there's phases to adrenal dysfunction, we call that. So you'll first have that more agitated phase in which your body's trying to adapt. And then you find that kind of, you might be wired and tired, you can't sleep at night, you've got energy in the morning. And then we see that you just don't have any production at all. And during that time, you'll have higher levels of DHEA and cortisol. And then you might notice that those numbers come down and DHEA goes down and when that happens, people's get up and go is get up and gone. And they don't have the motivation. They don't have the energy. They just don't feel as well as they did before. So it's really trying to find ways to balance that, which we can do, easily can do. Mm -hmm. And people can feel fantastic. We just have to figure out why it's there and what we need to do. So it's not unusual for someone to also then have low uh, libido and their testosterone levels has gone down. And all of those are parts of that puzzle that can be corrected once we start to understand how did it get there and how can we turn it around
0: this podcast is sponsored by liver health formula from pure health research for anyone looking to ignite their fat burning metabolism boost their energy and transform how they look and feel they must start taking care of their liver Your liver is your body's master detoxifier. It performs over 500 key functions in your body every single day. It's responsible for cleansing and removing thousands of harmful toxins, man-made chemicals, alcohol, and dangerous food additives and preservatives. And after decades of wear and tear, our livers slow down and they become sluggish. And this is why so many of us struggle with weight gain and feeling tired all the time. Fortunately, there's a simple all natural solution that I recommend. It's called Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula contains 12 powerful botanicals clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. It helps restore your liver's detoxifying abilities. It boosts your energy levels and can kick your natural metabolism into high gear. It also works remarkably well to fight fatty liver which is a silent epidemic affecting 100 million Americans. And right now, as a listener of our show, you can try liver health formula completely risk-free and receive five free gifts when you're today. First, you're gonna receive a free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega-3. This powerful blend of omega-3 fatty acids supports a healthy heart and brain. With four times better absorption, Thanks to this special nano delivery system. You're also getting four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity, regardless of age. Just go to get liver, forward slash Jockers or call toll free at 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of liver health formula and all five bonus gifts. That's get Liver help. So dot com forward slash jockers or call 800 282 1757. You're covered by their 365 day money back guarantee. So you have nothing to risk, but supplies are limited. So go head over to get liverhelp.com forward slash chockers or call toll free at 800 282 1757 now to order liver health formula and claim your five free bonus gifts while you still can. That's get liverhelp.com forward slash chockers or call 800-282-1757 yeah absolutely and of course diet plays a really big role in how our body is dealing with stress So can you talk about kind of diet nutrition principles that you're using to help balance and stabilize stress?
1: Absolutely. Well, we know that we'll back up a little bit with the adrenals because the adrenals are so important for a couple of things. One is glucose regulation. Mm-hmm. and if you've got had too much glucose for too long in the form of either lots of carbohydrates or a lot of sugar which is what people tend to go to when they're feeling stressed out no. um is grabbing that cookie or grabbing that bag of you know things at the store and the sweets what happens then is the glucose becomes dysregulated stress does that too Stress also is dependent, um, or the adrenals are very dependent if you have a lot of stress on fluid retention because aldosterone is produced by the adrenals. So we've got then fluid that's up and down. We've got glucose that's up and down. And for many people, especially those women that have had a lot of stress for a long time, they become what I call insulin resistant. So the the insulin receptors are elevated and then glucose can't get into the cells and they become much more hypoglycemic. That's a vicious cycle. And for many women, they start to then cut back on their food and they go on diets and they do everything under the sun. And that's not the way to really mobilize that. So it's cutting back on carbohydrates. It's adding good quality protein. And for some people, what I'll do the intermittent fasting is that I'll try to regulate their insulin receptors by having them have longer periods of um, no-food and also I urge people not to have food late at night because the body, it requires tons of energy to digest our foods. And if we're eating late at night, that also makes it harder to fast for sure in the next morning, but it also makes it more difficult because the body's going to sleep, the most important restorative thing that we have on a, our on a body that's needing to work very, very hard when we should be resting on digesting our foods.
0: Yeah, this is really good. And we know that inflammation obviously plays a huge role in this. We know insulin triggers inflammatory gene pathways in the body. And inflammation, when it comes to hormone signaling, is kind of like feedback. It's kind of like scatter when we're trying to get the right radio station on. So we end up uh, to oftentimes over or under producing different hormones, right? Uh, particularly over, oftentimes overproducing stress hormones, in some cases underproducing, and then um, that causes disproportionate uh, release of our sex hormones as well. And so uh, as a woman's been experiencing a lot of inflammation, a lot of stress, and she gets into that you know perimenopause state, what is actually happening when it comes to a hot flash? It's actually the physiological.
1: That's a really interesting question. For the longest time, and that's when we started using hormone replacement therapy so well, is we assumed that it was the estrogen level that was going down. Mm -hmm. And what we now understand is it's the up and down of the hormones that's going Mm -hmm. on in particular for estrogen. So there's many different ways to help with that. Getting rid of caffeine can make a difference, getting rid of alcohol, decreasing the stress response in the body. Um, And also that can require some mindfulness on one's part. But in addition to that, it's diet. So, when I oftentimes will have my patients completely clean out their diet, which means unfortunately no sugar and no alcohol and really clean diet with adequate protein and good quality, you know, lots of vegetables on their plate, the color of the rainbow. And if you're going to be using starch at all, it would be things like sweet potatoes and things that are really quite good for you. And often, I'll have people to go gluten-free. And I, I'm, I almost always do that primarily because so, so many people have gluten problems. And when they do that, they start to see, oh my gosh, so many of my symptoms have gone. The other part that I wanna point out is that, unfortunately, when we have, for years, I, I had a practice that was all eating disorders. And I really learned a great deal from that experience. But at the time, it was 30 years ago, I did not think it mattered if somebody was overweight. It didn't really matter biochemically. We have so much research Mm. now to show that many, many times, 60% of the time, 70% of the time, it makes a huge difference because body fat works like an endocrine organ and it actually Mm. increases cytokine production, which unfortunately then is a vicious cycle again of having more inflammation, which is a significant problem because then we have inflammation from our own body fat and from the food that we're eating. And from the stress that we have, and from the hormones that are going up and down as well.
0: Yeah, it's so good. And let's talk about like what, what would be a day in the life as far as like a nutrition plan for somebody that wants to go through menopause successfully. What should yeah. they be looking at? How they should how should they time their meals and what kind of food should they be looking to eat?
1: So I I recommend whole foods, you know, organic mm-hmm. as much as possible, uh, grass fed beef. Uh, um, and also grass-fed chickens and you know, mm-hmm. eggs and all those kinds of things as well. So you try as much as you can to get the organics. And when you can't, then I recommend people go to the environmental working group, look up the toxic twelve so that they know what foods are more problematic than others yeah. in terms of vegetables as well. And then I'll have them, you know, for some people, they just can't live without breakfast. It depends on kind of their their day. It might be a smoothie that I start them with. And then I'll try if I can to decrease the number of or decrease the number of hours that they're actually eating mm. and it depends on where they are how frustrated they are how much stress they have do they have kids at home how busy is their life but we're working towards having breakfast lunch and dinner no snacks mm-hmm. in between and then i'm working towards perhaps even having just lunch and dinner and adequate protein and the name of the game for me is you know we we've talked agnosium about you know for for IFM where we have discussions about what's the perfect diet yeah. well the perfect diet is is your plate is colored that you mostly you have the vegetables there the fruits are secondary, maybe two a day. You're drinking enough water that's half of your body weight in ounces. And it's filtered water. That you're being mindful of the toxic exposure because if you put your food and you're getting organic food and you're putting it in the microwave, that's probably not a great combination. No. That you're mindful of finding recipes that you can make delicious food in 30, you know, 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be hours in the kitchen. And that you love your meal. And the other part that I talk mm. a lot about with people is before your meal, that you take a moment of silence or a prayer or something to kind of get the digestive system ready and that you're not standing up in the kitchen, that you're not running around doing something, you're not eating in your car, that you allow your body to digest that food properly and that you have food that looks delicious. If you're eating food and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna eat this, that's not what you wanna do. Preferably not processed foods. If you look at the ingredients of the food and you can't pronounce them, That's probably not something I'd suggest you eat. And it depends on, David, where people are. If people Mm -hmm. are starting with that's all they're eating, then i will say, look, can we just take sugar out of your diet? Let's start with that. Now can we just add some other vegetables in your diet? What are the things that you like? And now can we just maybe have nothing after 7 o'clock at night? And Mm -hmm. then I'll work our way into getting them to eat meals they love, they take their time to eat. And then oftentimes I'll work on intermittent fasting for them as well, depending upon kind of what else is going on in their lives. And I use smoothies, you know, for some people, I might use a collagen base or a bone broth base and have that be the foundation of it. Not as many fruits in it because that increases the carbohydrate load. And if they've got lots of adrenal issues, I want those carbs to be lower Mm -hmm. And initially, when I first started my practice, I was doing 16 grams of carbs per meal and seven per snack. And my patients were like, oh my God, that's so little. But now it's much easier to do because we have so many different choices.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And how about other lifestyle strategies, sleep, exercise? Oh my goodness. How do you incorporate those? We
1: started with that. So (laughs) sleep. Wow. So, you know, um, in New York, There was an article in the New York Times that the new normal is 80 hours a week and part-time is 40 hours. And I think that is driving so many of us to the point of exhaustion. And sleep is crucial for anti-aging. You know, women talk about skin. Well, let's talk about sleep as being an important part of that. And getting, you know, a good eight hours of rested sleep. And the great news is we have all kinds of things we can actually test now and see with the new watches that we have available to us, how much good sleep are we actually getting? Exercise is so important, but here's the thing. You need to do something that you love because if you do it for the sake of going to the gym and I'm just going to pound that out every day, that's as destructive as as it is to not exercise. I love to see people plant their feet on the earth to ground themselves as well, so that they really have this sense of being part of the earth that we oftentimes forget. And, you know, weight training is really helpful and important. And if they can do that in addition to the exercise, If they can do exercise, I like to suggest interval training. There's tons of research now that you don't have to be on a treadmill for an hour. That if you do interval training for 20 minutes, you can get the same benefit as as you know for a full hour. But do something that you love. I'm a ballroom dancer, you know. And what I've done now is I just put mirrors in my basement. I put a ballet bar up so I can actually now do some things with my new big screen TV. So find ways that work for you that are gonna make your life enjoyable with regards to exercise, to sleep. But also the other part that's so important, our culture is oftentimes do-oriented. You know, what are you doing? What do you do? And the important part is who are we? And what are we doing for ourselves? And are you meditating? Are you doing yoga? Are you dancing? That's my form of meditation. Are you getting out in nature? Are you taking time to regenerate yourself? And menopause is a journey of self-discovery. Who am I? What am I gonna do for the second half of my life? And how do I get there? And you may have wake up calls along the way because if you haven't paid attention to some things, this is the time it will be woken up. But that's a great time to go inside and say, How do i want my life to look what do i want to do and how can i create it and who in my life is toxic to me and is it serving me all of those are pieces to this puzzle of balance and health long term so there's many things besides nutrition nutrition is the biggest part in the digestive system but it's all those pieces that make us whole that make us happy
0: yeah i love it so so important now let's talk about supplements what are some of the key supplements that you like to use? Let's First, we'll start with inflammation, keeping inflammation under control. Um, what supplements do you like for that?
1: So I'm a big fan of turmeric. And also if yeah. you have, you know, um, if you like kind of curries and turmeric and adding some of those spices to your food mm-hmm. on a regular basis, in addition to having it as an anti-inflammatory. I tend to use diet often as well and get people on anti-inflammatory diet, which wouldn't mean yeah. No dairy, no sugar, no alcohol, no grains. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's
1: really then going to be plant-based with regards to also then um, other forms of protein. And in addition, I'm going to be looking at the combination of fish oil with evening primrose oil. I'm going to be using things to also help stabilize the blood sugar. I might use some of the adaptogenic herbs for adrenals like ashwagandha, cordyceps, roseola. Um, You know, I might use red clover or I might use wild yams if they have hormonal dysregulation as well. And it, it's fantastic to know that we can also use homeopathy in combination with these things to help with that inflammatory cascade. I use a homeopathic drop in my practice that people are begging me to not take them off because it decreases inflammation so very much. So when you do it a combination and you are really fine tuning it for that person, there's no one size fits all depending upon where that inflammatory cascade's coming from. What's motivating that cascade? Is it cortisol? Is it the body fat they have? You know, is it cardiovascular issues? Where is it coming from? Then I'll intervene and I use supplements all the time that can be incredibly helpful, but I also want to understand what's the cause of the cause. Where is that problem coming from?
0: Yeah, going upstream, getting rid of the root cause, and then using these supplements to supplement a healthy anti-inflammatory lifestyle. Let's talk about what some of these things are doing. Evening primrose oil. Okay, that's, um, yeah, that's an omega-6 fat and uh, G- uh, high in gamma-linolenic acid, but it's not commonly talked about when it comes to, you know, the, the main supplements people are talking about. What is that actually doing in the body?
1: So it's actually blunting that, that pathway that increases arachidonic acid, and arachidonic acid is the fire in the system. So when I have somebody that has dysmenorrhea, or we call that cramps, menstrual cramps, the two things I use all the time are evening primrose oil, 500 milligrams three times a day, along with a fish oil, a really good quality fish oil. I either use krill if the women are older, or I'll use you know about two to 3,000 uh, EPA, DHA. That combination is extremely important for that inflammatory cascade. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to blunt it in all the studies now, we know that you can use that combination that's very similar to some of the medications that we use um, that decrease inflammation. So I can get the same amount of response if I'm using the combination of that in conjunction with a combination of turmeric um, or something similar to that. And I'm always looking at what do I need to look at with regards to that particular person's issues. And then I'll intervene with exactly the same success that I can have with some of the medications and they don't have side effects, whereas the medications do.
0: So the eating primose oil, the fish oil, they're working on the prostaglandin system and helping to get better balance between arachidonic acid and uh, EPA and DHA and all these key fatty acids that are are components in inflammation and help trigger in- inflammatory pathways. Let's talk about the adaptogens, right? You mentioned Ashwagandha, obviously there's many of them, ginseng, rhodiola, um, cordyceps. What are the, yeah, cordyceps, another great one, holy basil. What are these doing? What what are they working on?
1: What I love about adaptogens is, and I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. It's kind of fun. I was in the, um, I went to Belize. I mean, went, of course, to the rainforest. And we had a guide, and the guide was kind of looking at the monkeys and the responses and was saying, oh, that, that monkey must have diarrhea. It's going to this particular tree. Oh, that monkey must have you know, some issues around cardiovascular things. It's going to that tree. We don't do that in medicine. We use drugs in the same way. But many of the drugs have come from many of the plants that we are now using. So, an adaptogenic garb is exactly that. It helps that monkey that has diarrhea adapt to that and take care of the problem. So, if we have an issue, for example, of high cortisol, I might put people on phosphatidylserine that blunts that cortisol and it brings it down. I might use uh, licorice for somebody who has low cortisol. So I'm gonna use that to adapt the body to get that cortisol level up. Cordyceps and rhodiola and you know many of those adaptogenic herbs, they're amazing because what they do is if the numbers are high, they bring them down. If they're low, they help stabilize those numbers. And it's a much easier response in the body than just using a very strong drug that has multiple side effects, and that is hitting a nail with a sledgehammer. I want to just use a small hammer for you know a small nail, and yeah. that's what the adaptogenic herbs do: is they really support the biochemistry of the body instead of hitting it hard.
0: Yeah, so they're helping to adapt our sex hormone. I'm sorry, stress hormone production in particular. Things like uh, like cortisol, like you were talking about, help. If it's low, bring it up a little bit. If it's up, bring it down a little bit um, so you get the right amount because when you get the right amount, you feel good, right? Normally, cortisol should help you feel great, alive and awake in the morning. Um, then it dips at night and you feel tired and that's normal and you go to sleep and you're able to sleep very very well and very effectively. Now, there are other class classes of hormones and I guess they're kind of, cla- I don't know if they're Classified as adaptogens, but they're more of like uh, estrogen modulators. You have things like uh, red clover that you had mentioned, what, dong quai, wild yam, black cohosh, red ginseng, I believe, something like that. Um, What are those doing?
1: So what they're doing is they're, and soy actually is in this category. There's tons of controversy around that. Um, But what they're doing is they actually physiologically Almost, they don't, I wouldn't say mimic, but they do some of the same things that estrogen does. So, if somebody's having a lot of hot flashes, I might put them on some black cohosh or I'll put them on some wild yam and it blunts those symptoms in addition to looking at adrenals. So, it can, it can create such huge symptom relief. But again, we have to understand the cause of the cause because that really is the root of the problem. Yeah. You also have to be mindful that for some people it may actually increase some bleeding. So we have to be aware that that can be one of the, the things that we're watching for. And mm-hmm. then obviously we have to do kind of further follow-up. But um, also I used soy for years and you know, soy has become the forbidden food. It's no longer you know thought of as a, as a good thing. But the interesting thing, if we look at the science behind soy, they use it a lot in China. China. China and Japan. If we have an estrogen receptor, we have an alpha receptor where estrogen goes, and we have a beta receptor where soy goes, I'm talking about non-GMO soy by the way, Um, and what it does then is it takes up that receptor. So if it takes up that receptor, the research is pretty interesting looking at it, that's why probably in Japan, if they use a completely Japanese diet with a lot of soy, they have a lower risk of breast cancer. When they start introducing more of the foods that we have in America, they are have, tend to have more of a problem with um, breast cancer. So that's an interesting concept: is that perhaps the food soy can be very helpful? I use an estriol-based uh, product for people that have any kind of vaginal dryness when they're going through menopause, and I have it compounded. and It is, you know, coming from the implant.
0: I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Paleo Valley. They make the most powerful pure vitamin C supplement you can get because unlike most vitamin C supplements containing synthetic ingredients that are created in the lab, Paleo Valley Essential C Complex is made from three of the most potent whole food sources of vitamin C on the planet. Nothing weird, just food check them out at paleovalley.com and use the coupon code jockers j-o-c-k-e-r-s to get 15 percent off today yeah and and let's talk about the liver let's go into the liver its role and also how the liver plays a role in the different estrogen subtypes or metabolites and what we're looking for too. go over like what
1: we're yeah, looking yeah sure so um Metabolites. Very few people do it unless they're trained in functional medicine. Now so let's back up a little bit with regards to what the liver does. So the liver is an amazing organism. We hardly ever talk about the liver. We don't talk about the lymph system either, which is a whole other kind of issue that really needs attention. But the liver is very important because what it does is it detoxifies things. For example, if you take an aspirin, there's a phase one and a phase two of the liver. The phase one makes that aspirin actually more metabolically potent. And some people have very high phase one, so that what happens is the, um, the aspirin is then broken down and then transported out of the body. People that are chemically sensitive or don't have a very good phase two, that toxic amount of aspirin stays in their system so they have lots of symptoms for it. Well, estrogen has to be metabolized. And if our body is, is gonna break it down, it, it breaks it down into three different categories. We call that uh, two, 16, and four. Two, we want high levels of two in terms of the way it's broken down, and we want lower levels of 16 and four. And when I'm looking at somebody's hormone ratio, I want the two to 16 ratio to be adequate. If it's too high, then I start to be concerned that they have more of a risk of breast cancer. Does that mean they're going to get breast cancer? Absolutely not. Because I can modulate that by using something called DIM or indole 3 carbonyl.
0: So if there's a lot of 16, and and the 16 and the, what is it, 16, 4, and 2. So the 16 and the 4s are really telling, they amplify growth. They do. Is that correct? Right. So All estrogen tells tissues to grow. But it should be more of a, a subtle growth signal, and they're more amplifying growth. And of course, you know when you get into when you're when you're pregnant, you need growth. But when you are um, not pregnant and you're going through menopause, you don't want a lot of growth because that could lead to things like fibrocystic breasts and stuff like that. Um, so I just wanted to make that point. And you were saying the 16 to 2 ratio is a big one that you're looking at.
1: And many times what you'll see is that the I'm fine if the two ratio is elevated because that's what I want, but those people oftentimes more apt to have osteopenia and osteoporosis. You mm. want to be checking that out. If the four and the 16 are elevated, then we want to blunt that if we can. And the way that we do that, uh, Eleanor Rogan is a scientist who kind of brought this to our attention many years ago, saying, I'm not so sure it's an estrogen issue in breast cancer. It's an estrogen metabolism issue and if you have a very high four ratio, then I'm more concerned about the risk of getting breast cancer. Now, here's the interesting thing, and that is we many times now in functional medicine do what we call genetic evaluation. We're not looking to see if is a disease present, but we are looking to see if they have a SNP, which means that there's a little aberration in that genetic uh, marking that that person has. So I can see if somebody doesn't detoxify very well, I can see if somebody has more of a chance of having more four and less two, which mm-hmm. makes me concerned, especially if I'm going to put them on hormone placement therapy. If they don't even have a family history of breast cancer, I will put that person on um, the indol 3 carbonyl or I'll put them on DIM to blunt that ratio to decrease the risk of those numbers going up. And it works very well in addition to fish oil in addition to the dietary changes in addition to exercise those are all very important because that all plays into kind of their longevity and health long term
0: so do you like to use dim when it's a high 16 to 2 ratio as well as a high 4 to 2 ratio does dim yes. tend to yes. work well there yep, and absolutely. great question you, and you mentioned if it's a high 2 uh, so, like a hot, so the reverse, where, where E2, which is, um, which is more healthier for your body, but if it's higher, you said that you, do, you are concerned at times if, if it stays high that there could be osteopenia or osteoporosis. You just want
1: to check it, absolutely. Yeah. So, you're going to be making sure that they're getting plenty of calcium and magnesium. Yep. And, um, you know, one of my friends describes it as is if you have a, um, a hole in your, your bones, so to speak, a hole in the mm. bucket, we need to find out why. I mean, what else is going on in addition to that that's contributing to the risk factors of osteopenia or osteoporosis? And many, many women have it and didn't know it.
0: Yeah. What are some of the big factors there? Obviously, vitamin D plays a role. You, know, you got to get your right vitamin nutrients, D. magnesium, calcium, like you mentioned-
1: guess what? The gut. <laughs> yeah, the so gut. if you have a digestive system that's not working, and then we know that that membrane in the intestines is very thin. And if we have foods or we have, for example, a lot of stress, our gut um, microbiome is established by age two. And if we didn't inherit from our mother very healthy bacteria, then we're already down the road, if especially if you've had lots of antibiotics, a gut that's not working well. Then we fast forward into lots of antibiotics and poor nutrition and we have a a, a mucosa in the intestines that has almost looks like cheesecloth with holes. When that happens then, um, I'm sure you've talked about this many times, the food particles go into the bloodstream and we don't get the nutrients that we need and that's the breakdown that starts Mm. to happen with the bones. The other part that can happen too is that people can have high amounts of lead or other toxins wow. that actually replace calcium in the bone. Hmm. So it's really starting to understand what for that particular person created that hole in that bucket so that we don't have to patch it with you know gum or something. We wanna use something a little bit more appropriate to figure out what the problem is. And sometimes, you know, it is true that estrogen replacement therapy does help bones. We do know that. And for some people, you might be using that. And I do use it in my practice, but I use bioidentical estrogen and I never use tablets. I always use Mm. transdermal or I'll use um, creams.
0: Okay. Yeah. And going back to the gut, I know low stomach acid is a really big factor too. And if you're not producing enough stomach acid, you're not going to be able to chelate and absorb your minerals, calcium, magnesium, things like that effectively. And of course, vitamin D deficiency is uh, is really common as well. You need that vitamin D and vitamin K2, which which is very much dependent upon that Please. gut bacteria to help basically channel the calcium and get it into the bones. So all those are big factors. How about beta-glucuronidase? You know, this is an enzyme that can be produced by dysbiotic gut bacteria. How does that impact our estrogen levels?
1: So when I um, when I'm looking at somebody that has high beta glucuronidase, I'm I'm going to be starting to look at how they metabolize their estrogen, yeah. because those people oftentimes don't metabolize their estrogen very well, and then we're in this this kind of dilemma of, um, you know, what do we need to kind of search for? So I'm going to always do. Um, an evaluation of their metabolisms to see, are they 2, 4, 16? And right. then make a decision as how I'm going to intervene. I'm also very aware if they have a high beta-glucuronidase that they also usually have boatloads of bacteria that I need to do something about in the gut as well. So those are, um, you know, what I love about all this now in functional medicine is it gives us a picture into the individuality of each of these people. Because some yeah. people, when I do a, a stool test and their beta-glucuronidase is low and they're fine, mm-hmm. Um, and then getting back to the notion of um, the, um, the gut with regards to um, acid production. In our culture, so many women are on um, acid, you know, proton pump mm. inhibitors. Yeah. And that actually is a big, big problem because what that does is it doesn't allow them, the body, to digest the food properly. If they have an acid reflux symptom, sometimes it's that they don't have enough acid more, yeah. more often than when they have too much and um that is something that can you know undermine the physiology of their body pretty significantly
0: yeah absolutely and that can set the door for overgrowth of dysbiotic bacteria that then produce things like beta glucuronidase which blocks your your glucuronidase pathway basically your ability to do glucuronidation phase 2 liver detox and can elevate those bad estrogen metabolites like you were talking about yeah, so what are, what are some of the uh, key supplements you like to use for gut health and for liver health?
1: So for uh, gut health, I use uh, probiotics. I use prebiotics. Mm-hmm. I use glutamine. I use um, oftentimes a FODMAP diet. If I'm suspicious, they have mm-hmm. SIBO. I might use oil of oregano if I, if I think that they have that. And, you know, the oil of oregano is also really great for overgrowth of candida. So I, I will yeah. treat that. And one of the things that I want to say is, you know, if you look at the, you know, Dr. Google, it says that SIBO is something you have the rest of your life. You can never get rid of it. And same with candida. It is not what I see in my practice when I modulate things appropriately. And what's interesting is that I get the gut healthier. Then I also get the hormones healthier Mm. and I get the adrenals healthier and they feel amazing and they can feel amazing into their eighties and nineties and uh, not be plagued by all of these symptoms that so many women have. So there's a huge relationship there. And I, um, Let's see, what else do I use? Depending upon, you know, I see a lot of parasites, so I might use, you know, mm-hmm. I, sometimes I'll use a medication. Uh, mm-hmm. Of recent, I've seen tons of people with um, nematodes. So I use mm-hmm. a bendazole or I might yeah. even use diflucan So I do use medications because I can prescribe, mm-hmm. but I um, oftentimes will use herbs instead. Depends on how fast and what their symptoms gone.
0: What should somebody do after they've taken a medication like that? Is there any like things that they should definitely be
1: on afterwards? Absolutely. So if I have, you know, I've been seeing tons of nematodes. I don't know about you, but it's like, what is going on? Um, I will use that as, because I just have to use two tablets, STAT, and that then I really help replenish the gut. So I'm always thinking about healing the gut as well. So I have to see what I need to re-inoculate with, what do I need to replenish with, what do I need to treat, and what kinds of foods do I need in their diet, and it will depend upon what the symptoms are and problems are. I do use betaine, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. for people. Um, more often than not, they are lacking in, uh, in that enzyme. And then I oftentimes will use digestive enzymes, lipase, amylase, protease type of things to help with um, the breakdown of the food. And it depends on do they have bloating? Do they not have bloating? Where are their symptoms? But everybody gets so much better and their overall health improves so much with respect to hormones as well. I think a lot of times people think, well, what does my gut have to do with my hormones? It's directly related. And Mm. we always, you know, when I think of somebody depressed, I start with the gut. If I have hormones, I start with the gut. I'm looking at adrenals as well. So it's all those things together.
0: Yeah, really good. And what kind of supplements do you like for liver health?
1: Ah, yes. The big one. Um, I oftentimes use milk thistle. I used to use it all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, If I can use liposomal glutathione, I will. I use N-acetylcysteine as well for the liver. And I love to use beets, you know, Mm -hmm. and artichokes. Those are really good to help with detoxification for the liver too. And I use food as much as I can and have them do kind of a smoothie and celery juice. I mean, that combination's great if uh, people don't mind some red urine because the beets can do that.
0: Yeah, and, and so many people have really congested bile ducts and really slow, sluggish bile. In fact, a lot of women actually get their gallbladder taken out due to gallstones or biliary infections in the bile ducts. So what are you doing to help improve that? And oftentimes, that has to do with parasites like you talked about. Um, can be estrogen dominance, can be a, a big factor with that. So what are you doing to help
1: um, sometimes i use bile salts it depends mm-hmm. on kind of what the stool test shows me and kind of yeah. what the color of their stools are as well and i use food as much as i can and sometimes i'll have them do some work with a masseuse or somebody yeah. that does cranial sacral work to really help to mobilize the liver but there's another piece to this too and that has to do with the chinese concept of what liver is about and liver is about holding anger Mm. And so I'm, I'm always talking about that relationship as well. And especially what I see, David, for people that have been really sick for a long time is they have the kind of the neural pathways are just imbued in, I'm never going to get better. I feel horrible. So I have them do work, you know, on kind of changing that perspective to get out of that, that kind of piece. And it's also connected to women in menopause, which is, you know, I'm over the hill, What's going to happen to the rest of my life? I'm kind of done now and I can't have children anymore. And there's a whole world that's out there. It's just different. And, you know, for many women, they love it because they don't have the ups and downs of what goes on with their cycle. They're now stable. And what you see today is what you get tomorrow. There's a wonderfulness about that as well.
0: Yeah, this has been a great interview. And I just want to acknowledge you, Marcel, for really being a great source of inspiration, so knowledgeable and you know, just a subject area expert when it comes to menopause and female hormones and providing such great content for everybody. And do you have any last words of inspiration? And are you still seeing clients? Some of our listeners may be interested in working with you, working um, to find I, out more about you.
1: Great question. So um if you want to learn more about me, go to Marcelpick.com. Um, I also have um, a weight loss program called Women's Transformation mm. Center as well that's very, very successful. It's more of a lifestyle. How do I get you happy and healthy the rest of your life? Um, and I have three books that they can go on Amazon and look at. Is it me or my hormones? Is it me or my adrenals? And the Core Balance Diet. I'm starting to slow down in terms of seeing patients. You know, my wait list is getting longer uh, one-on-one as I'm doing more stuff online as well. And my last inspiration is that I just urge anyone that's listening to this, that's not feeling well, to know when we get to the cause of the problem, anything can be figured out. We just have to figure Mm -hmm. it out. So understanding we have to have somebody that's knowledgeable enough to dig deep into the problems and your information, David, is fabulous, just like on my website, they can go and get data too, is to really work with someone that will work with you to look at all the pieces to the matrix, from emotions to lifestyle, to sleep, to relationships that you have, to the food that you're eating, to the you know, toxins, to the microbiome, to everything. And we can feel better. We just have to figure it out.
0: Awesome. Well, this has been such a great interview. And guys, definitely, if you're interested in hormones, adrenals, she does have some great books. I mentioned them in the intro, Is It Me or My Adrenals? Is It Me or My Hormones? Great books. And she has the core balance diet as well that you can check out. Thanks again, Marcel, for being part of the summit. And for those of you guys that are out there listening, remember, go out and take action. Uh, you learned so much in this, in this uh, interview. So go out, start putting it into action, and we'll see you guys on a future interview. Be blessed.